one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in the fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. The structure from Perigo Gorman. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads. Two information, trapping radios. We are trappers and ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big traffic. If you got very much to sing the judge, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed, this is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. Great to have you here. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-C-B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cots Bros has a full line of trapping supplies, whether you're getting started on the trap line or you just need to stock up for the season. Cotsbros.com. On X Maps, use your phone as a GPS on the trap line, mark your trap locations, get landowner information, scout using your latest aerial imagery, track your movements, uh, run your trap line in a more efficient, organized way with Onyx Maps, and get the 20% off discount by using the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, at onxmaps.com. Moyle Mink and Tannery, get your fur tan by the professionals. You're catching fur throughout the season, the end of the season you come to try to figure out what you're going to do with that fur, and uh, you need to figure out a way to preserve it for the long term. If you're not going to sell your fur right away, maybe you throw it in the freezer for sort of short term, but uh, you got to get it tanned if you're going to do anything with it other than sell it um, to a fur buyer or, or an auction company. So um, Moyle is a family-run company out of Idaho. They've been doing this for decades. They do an incredible job at a very reasonable price. Go to moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E, Dot net use their online customer portal to get your fur tanned quicker and when you get it back you're going to have some flexibility in what you want to do whether you want to have that fur as a wall hanger whether you want to make something out of it hats mitts whatever uh, or sell it thanks moyle uh, on x and cotsboros for supporting the podcast let's get into the show so it doesn't really feel like trapping season just yet over here in northern Maine. It's kind of hot and sunny today at mid-70s, which, which is a little bit unseasonable, but uh, we got some colder weather coming in the forecast. So anyway, hopefully it'll it'll uh, get here soon. I did have a great weekend at the Maine Trappers Association Fall Rendezvous. That was the first one that I had attended in quite some time, and it was great to get, uh, you know, talk to different people and get caught up with folks that I hadn't talked with in a while, get caught up with folks that I hadn't talked to since last year at Neil Olson's and watch a few demos, pick up some trapping supplies and meet some new trappers. A few of you guys that listen to the podcast were there and I 
I was uh, glad to talk with you. Also, interestingly, I had a couple guys that watched the YouTube videos but didn't know I had a podcast. So apparently I'm not really doing a good job of letting people on YouTube know that I have a podcast. So uh, I'll have to work on that here moving forward. But uh, yeah, uh, we I didn't do much for recordings. I sat down with Pat Connolly from Massachusetts and a couple of guys from New Hampshire and another guy from Maine. We did a little recording. Uh, I have to check back on the audio and see if it's if it's uh, good enough to piece together and maybe do an episode to give you guys a little bit of a uh, perspective from a couple of different trappers and and uh, maybe feel like you've been there uh, by the campfire one evening at the MTA. So we'll we'll look at, into that. But tonight's episode, we have John Daniel from the National Trappers Association. John is the president. He's been in that position for, I believe, three years now. And I've been wanting to get John on the show for quite some time. It really was my fault for, for not getting him sooner. But uh, I throughout the summer, I really have a hard time scheduling things. So I feel bad. Like I don't want to schedule something with somebody ahead of time and then have a situation where I really need to be doing something else. So I think started to slow down a little bit and I got in touch with John. He was more than willing to do an interview. And, and so thanks John for that. I really appreciate it. And we talked about a number of things, but, but since John has been in the NTA, uh, just for me watching from afar, I've been really impressed with what he has done for trappers and trapping. He's been a uniter, brought helped bring together uh, NTA and FTA. Uh, he has really fought hard, brought a lot of energy to the position, and worked to not only form these alliances, but but to push to protect trapping and to communicate our concerns as trappers to different uh, you know federal officials to legislators senators representatives and and so on and so forth and i I think it's been a really positive thing for trapping so uh, in in this episode you'll get to hear a little bit from john and a little bit about how he got started trapping he's from tennessee so maybe a little bit different trapping for some folks for those of you listening in tennessee you'll you'll feel like you're right at home and yeah and thanks to mark uh, from tennessee who who kind of uh, nudged me a little bit to get John on the show. I appreciate that, Mark. Um, yeah, and we talk about uh, some of the threats to trapping, some of the the things that they are working on at the NTA to try and uh, try and curb those, uh, whether they're ballot initiatives or legislative acts or commission decisions and state fish and wildlife commissions. There's a lot going on. Um, the best thing that you can do, though, is and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm I'm going to. I'm going to encourage you to do this a little more often here moving forward in the podcast because I, I, you know, I, I really haven't, I, I've always kind of assumed and I make this mistake a lot that, oh, you're a trapper. Yeah, you, you, you joined, you belong to your state association and you must, if you're really into trapping, you belong to your national association. But I suspect a lot of you don't. And so I know, you know, it costs money, but it is money well spent, $30 a year join the National Trappers Association for that $30. Not only are you supporting the NTA and their activities, you're also an, a member uh, that they can, you know, you're added to the to the roles of members. You increase their voice and the power of what they're saying. You also get a magazine um, uh, to 
it's a it's a really valuable resource to kind of keep up with what's going on in the trapping industry maybe learn a little bit about trapping get a bunch of different articles in there uh, and yeah i mean it, it's a it's a really good thing to do i i would say you want to at least belong to your state association to the nta and maybe to the fur takers of america that would be great to belong to them too if you can afford it um i and people, some people take even the next step, like uh, Pat from Mass has said that, well, he's going to join every state association where he is trapping or has trapped. So that's that's a really cool thing. So if you're in Mass, you, you, you obviously belong to the Mass Trappers, uh, but you trap over in Vermont, you trap in New Hampshire, you trap in Maine, all of a sudden you're a member of several different organizations and you're supporting them all and you understand and know what's going on with all of them. That's a pretty cool thing. Um, I joined the Alaska Trappers Association when I went out to my, my trip to Alaska to trap there. And uh, I, I'm obviously a, a member of, of the Maine Trappers Association and in the National Trappers Association. My friend Josh has taken this all to the next level. He is uh, just purchased a lifetime membership to the Alaska Trappers Association, and he's saving up for his lifetime membership for the NTA. So that's a great thing if you can do it. But if you can't, at the very least, I really would encourage you to join the NTA and join your state association. Um, it's very important that even if we're not do on the front lines fighting the battle, that we support the people like John Daniel who are. So with without uh, further ado, let's talk with John Daniel from the NTA. John Daniel, president of the National Trappers Association, thanks for joining us. Hey, glad to be here. Um, I, I've got a lot of questions for you. I've been wanting to talk with you for quite a while, but uh, I think it would be great to hear just kind of a little bit of background first on how you got started trapping. So I've been trapping since I was 15 or 13, uh, and it's pretty much self-taught. Uh, nobody in my family trapped. Uh, my dad was a avid coon hunter, and uh, a lot of my uncles were rabbit hunters and what have you, but uh, nobody trapped. But uh, it was something that, for whatever reason, I had an interest in, so... I read all the material I could on it and, and, and bought my first traps when I was 13. I saved up my money and uh, went on uh, some of the uh, trapping magazines, picked out a spot to buy some and bought a half dozen 110 uh, body grip traps and a half dozen uh, number one coil springs and got started from there. So was this uh, down in Tennessee? It was, yeah. Mm hmm and back then, uh, from what I hear from, from a lot of other guys, it was a little bit harder to find trapping information. It, yeah, it was, it was definitely a whole lot harder, harder back in the day. Uh, I went to a guy, it was actually a cousin. So I was, I misspoke a little bit, uh, who did trap and, uh, and, and asked him to kind of tell me how to catch things. And he said, well, just go out and get you a can of sardines and tie your trap to a tree and put sardines down there and you'll catch something and, and that was his advice <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you remember your first catch yeah uh uh coon was the first thing i caught and uh then muskrats after that yeah huh. 
And and uh, you were sounds like you were pretty hooked from the start. Did you trap continually since that time? Uh, no, uh, I trapped from the time I was thirteen until I was eighteen, and uh, I went into business when I was nineteen into the construction business. And uh, uh, for the first few years there, between starting a new business and a new family, I was I got married when I was uh, twenty three and started a new family so there was quite a while there i didn't trap from the 18 you know up into my late 20s and my oh, my son turned five uh we were down at my dad's one day and and mo traps were hanging on the side of the shed out there and i got the traps out and was showing them to my son and we started trapping again yeah and it all just kind of came back from there it did uh it did uh uh we to begin with we were just kind of trapping and having a good time with it and we weren't selling anything we were just scanning and keeping what we caught and uh didn't even know there was a trapping association in tennessee yeah and uh i went up to uh equipment uh dealership up in athens tennessee to buy some parts for my tractor and there was a sign up there that there was a trapping association meeting and i had uh two of my three kids with me at the time and and uh we decided we'd stay up there and go to go to the meeting and we we did and, and i joined while i was up there and and uh just kind of started getting involved from there yeah the first convention is always pretty amazing because you you meet all these other people that have the are interested in the same thing as you are yeah definitely uh actually i wouldn't even call it a convention that it was just a little one day meet oh, and, okay, uh, it was, yeah. yeah no supply dealers no anything it's just a, you know they cook some burgers and that kind of thing and just kind of socialized and had a business meeting and that kind of thing and were you involved with the association uh, from that point on no uh, <laughs> the, the, i don't know if you would say a funny thing that my first meeting i ever went to uh was a, the day that the tennessee association split into two groups Oh, really? Uh, there was some bad blood between some folks there. Of course, I didn't know any of the history or anything. And and uh, so I ended up joining both groups and taking my kids to the meeting, my family to the meetings of both. And uh, I met a fellow by the name of Paul Anzac. And uh, Paul was from Wisconsin. had moved down to Tennessee, and he trapped his whole life. And, and we became friends, and we'd talk about the – the sadness of you know the split in the associations and how it couldn't be good for for trappers uh, as a whole yeah. and uh paul had been coming to the meetings a little longer than i had and uh, uh the group that splintered off actually asked him to be the president of the association and uh he came to me and said if i would be a director for him he, he would be the president and our goal would be to try to bring the two, two groups back together and so that's that's the way it started out, and I was a director for him for a while, and uh, then uh, I ended up being the alternate NTA director for the Tennessee Fur Harvesters, and then a year later I became the director for them for the NTA the NTA director for them, mm-hmm. and just kind of went off from there. <laughs> and and initially, like I wouldn't have thought, well, Tennessee, there, that there were many issues with. Uh, you know, legal battles or trapping, but there were some pretty odd regulations I, I recall hearing about that, that you were working on trying to get cleaned up there. 
Yeah, the, you know, there. Uh, when I first began trapping at thirteen, uh, you could not legally set a steel any type of foothold trap or body grip trap on top of the ground in Tennessee. Uh, you had to be twelve inches inside a hole or a den, or in the water. So uh, essentially, that made it illegal to fox trap or coyote trap. Which at that time there weren't any coyotes really to mount anything in Tennessee. Those came a few years later. But uh, there were a lot of foxes, and and uh, you uh, you couldn't leave. It was made it almost impossible to legally trap them. Yeah. Uh, not too long after I'd been trapping, uh, they changed the regs and allowed us to use padded jaw traps. Uh, and it was padded jaw traps for many years. Uh, after I became president uh, of Tennessee, uh, my vice president, uh, Mr. Clarence Dyes, and I were talking, and uh, uh, he had been looking at some regulations uh, about uh, – our 32 hour check and he, he, Clarence was pr primarily a water trapper. And, and, uh, we, we were talking and he's, you know, made the comment that, uh, you know, a, a 36 hour check was, could be dangerous in certain weather conditions if you're out in a boat and what have you. And on a, on a lethal set, uh, it didn't really make sense to, to risk your own life. Uh, to check a you know to check a lethal set if dangerous conditions existed on the water sure. and uh, so he did a little research and, and got some information on other states that had a 72 hour check on uh, lethal sets and and he uh, happened to know uh, a fellow of the TWRA and we had a meeting with him where the meeting was about uh, lethal sets and changing the check time on lethal sets and uh, while we were talking, he asked me, he said, uh, you know, is there anything else that maybe I could help you with? And I said, well, to be honest with you, the thing that would help most trappers in Tennessee is if we could not have to use padded jaw traps. You know, it, it's very limiting to us if we use our traps for Kyle State and what have you. And, and there's a lot of good information out there that states that uh, laminated jaws or, or, or thicker jaw or offset jaw traps are actually more humane and do less foot damage than padded jaw traps. We started looking into it, and uh, we were able to get those those two changes made. So Tennessee no longer has to use a padded jaw trap, and we've got a 72-hour check uh, on our lethal sets. Nice. That's that's a huge, huge uh, improvement for guys down there, I'm sure. Yeah, and the, the, we've had we've made a few other changes. One where we can now use we couldn't use any body grip and traps on land. Uh, unless they were 12 inches inside a holder den, we can use a uh, a 110 now, uh, as long as it's within 50 feet of a uh, waterway. Okay. Now, uh, these regulations, when they were put in place, was it due to houndsmen concerns, or was it more like an animal rights type concern? So, and all, all I can tell you uh, on that, because... Uh, I was 13 years old or younger when those yeah. those were put in place. Uh, from what I've been told, yes, it was it had to, it was due to houndsmen. Okay, uh, was the was the reason for it. Uh, 
you know, that we were talking about some fur boom years then. There was, you know, fur was bringing pretty good money, and there was a lot of people out chasing fur, and, and uh, some of the more influential people were hound hunters, and they were able to basically put those laws into place. And today, have you guys uh, been able to maintain a good relationship with those guys? I, you know, I feel like we do. Uh, we, uh, we've, uh, we, we have very little conflict uh, with with other user groups, including the housemen. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times when when you try to make changes like that, there's there are a lot of people that kind of. Uh, throw their hands up and say, well, you're, this is going to be a problem and that's going to be a problem. And then the changes come through and there's no problem, you know? And yeah. it's like, well, what were we worried about? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we, we anticipated some opposition when, when it came time to vote on it. Uh, and uh, there wasn't any, uh, the, uh, the other part of that, that change uh, that came about trapping was regulated legislatively and all other forms of take hunting fishing uh, were regulated by the twra wildlife resources agency other than trapping and one of those changes that came about as a result of that uh, there was an amendment made and trapping now falls under the profession wildlife professionals our tennessee wildlife resources agency good good um, so, so going from this, what was your motivation to run for president of the NTA? Well, that's a good question because, uh, so originally I never had any intentions of being in any form of, uh, trapping politics or any other type of politics. Uh, I mentioned to you about my friend Paul asking me to be a director. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know anything about the NTA uh, really, uh, uh, the association Paul was the president of decided to bid on the Southeastern Regional Convention, and, and Paul asked me to help him find a place to do it and do the presentation. So uh, back then, NTA still had leadership conferences, and we went down to Birmingham, Alabama, and I did the presentation for the bid. Uh, while I was there, I met the current the uh, president at the time, Jim Buell, and he and I uh, spent several hours talking, and uh, he encouraged me to get more involved. And it was something I've always believed in. I believe, uh, I believe that uh, it's important to preserve the heritage that founded this country, and trapping played a big part of that. Uh, I also believe in preserving farming and, and hunting and fishing and, uh, and a lot of other things, uh, but this this was the one that i chose to become more involved with and uh i uh i came up with an idea when craig katz was the president of the association and that uh was a fundraising idea that was pretty successful and uh there was a situation where a dog had been caught in tennessee and there was a, a uh, untruthful <coughs> excuse me newspaper article about it and uh i was asked to give a uh the trapper side article so i worked with the nta attorney gary lustico and president craig katz and they coached me on how to do the interview and a year later they asked me if i'd be the general organizer and i became general organizer and 
then I was pre- the vice president for six years and or five years, and now I'm the president. <laughs> did you uh, did you ever anticipate it be such a a big time commitment? It seems like it it would take a lot of time to do what you do. So it, it does. It takes a lot of time. Uh, of course, it's all volunteer. There's no paid positions, uh, and the NTA other than our office staff and, and contractors, the the officers and executive council and the uh, board of directors. It's all volunteer. Uh, so you have to, you know, to, to make a difference, you have to be willing to dedicate a lot of free time uh, to it. And uh, it's just something I believe strongly about. I want to make sure that uh, my grandkids get the opportunity and, and other people's grandkids, including yours, gets the opportunity to trap in the future. And, and uh, it's worth the effort and worth the time. Absolutely. And so one of the observations that I had, it seems like you've brought uh, a lot of energy to, to this uh, position since you've, you've started. And what was, what was it like two years, two years ago or three years ago? Yeah, I just started my second two year term at the convention in July. Uh, we, we got off to a really good start and then COVID slowed us down and we're, we're trying to get back on track. Now we're getting a lot of momentum here. And, uh, I had a lot of ideas and, and, uh, I've got a good team around me to help, uh, with those ideas and they have a lot of good ideas of their own and and uh we're just trying to make a positive uh effect on on the future yeah so i feel like you almost have to split this into two different sides of of the nta activities where on one side you're working towards promoting trapping and trying to make improvements but on the other side you're just it's just like a constant battle trying to defend what our threat you know, fight the threats to our trapping rights. So uh, maybe we should try to talk about each of those sides. Yeah, sure. So, you know, on the defense side, uh, what appears to be some new tactics in place that uh, our opposition uh, is, is, is promoting right now is, is actually what we're seeing right now is the results of 10 years of planning to change tactics. And they're being pretty effective right now because they put a lot of effort. We're, we're a volunteer and we work hard for what we believe in and they're doing the exact same thing. Uh, they're working hard. Uh, they've learned a lot over the years how to be more politically effective, you know, and, and, in the, you know, the older days, you know, they, they threw paint on people and ran around without clothes on. And that was their protest. Uh, they, they've learned to be more effective. Uh, they, they've learned to be smart. They've learned to be less vocal and more effective. So in, in turn, we must learn to be more effective, more calculated in how we defend. And we not only need to defend, but we need to proactively promote the need for sound, meaningful trapping across the nation and and what it means to the overall healthy ecosystems of of cohabitation between other animals and humans and uh you know like agriculture there's a, there's so many things in the play there that uh that are in our favor if if we can educate the public on those things uh our our uh, opposition primarily uh, operates on emotion. Uh, 
yeah. and and uh, face appearances, not necessarily what's beneath the surface, but that on the surface face appearances is what they work on us with. And and you know, unless you understand something thoroughly, uh, first glances can be very deceiving. So uh, speaking of like 10-year battles or 10-year plans, can you give us a, a little rundown of what happened in New Mexico and where we're at now with that? So uh, one of the ladies who is now, and I, I can't remember to be honest with you, if I think uh, she's a member of the house, but she started out as a, a dog walker who was opposed to trapping. And she tried to be a thorn in the side of officials and, and uh, basically uh, irritate them enough that they would uh, comply with what she wanted. And when she was, wasn't getting the results she wanted out of that, she started going to the meetings and, and uh, being around and being more politically active in the community and got herself elected office. Uh, and we're, and we're seeing similar things. We're seeing uh, governor-appointed wildlife commissions who have anti-hunting and trapping and fishing people on those committees now. I, I don't understand that logic. I don't understand why a wildlife commission... We The North American model is the most successful model in the whole world, not just in North America, but in the world. Mm-hmm. Of, of recovery and management of wildlife species, and I don't, I, I don't understand why someone would appoint someone who disagrees with that model. Uh, if you're truly going to manage wildlife, and those commissions are actually going to have a voice in managing that wildlife, I, I, I don't understand the rationale behind that when you have the most successful model in the entire world why would you appoint people to manage who are in opposition of the most successful model in the world yeah i think a lot of people forget the way things used to be and, and forget how we got to where we are now yeah i think i think you're right and and you know a lot of them that are opposed to it i don't know if they ever knew they only see what they're opposed to and don't take the time to educate themselves on the facts. So, so these people or this this person became active in New Mexico and and was influential in in uh, basically what, just to give people a recap, it's a they banned trapping on public lands in New Mexico, right? That's correct. And and was that that was a legislative act, not a ballot initiative? That's correct. And so, what what do we do now? How do we uh, so? Uh, we feel, uh, and I can't really go into a lot of details. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that uh, on, ongoing things are probably you know you. you uh, be careful we we feel that that we have a good case to defeat that decision, and we're in the process of preparing to do so. Okay. Um, is that the biggest? Is that the biggest threat we have right now? In, in the U.S.? It is New Mexico. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, we've got some equally dangerous situations in, in a few different states. 
uh, one of the most recent things is uh, uh, they it started out in California banning the sale of fur products in certain cities, mm-hmm. and, uh, and a few weeks ago they they banned the sale of any new fur in Ann Arbor. There's rumor in Michigan, and there's rumors that there's going to be some other that'll do it. It's just another attack at the, the end trapping is what it does. Uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, it's about the end of consumptive use. Uh, it has no scientific uh, or, or, or legal grounds for that matter. Uh, and then you've got the, uh, you know, the, the whole situations I was talking to you there a minute ago about the, the commissions. Uh, they're, they're seeking to regulate us out of business, kill our market to put us out of business, and uh, basically put us out of business in the political realm as well. Uh, it's, it's a three-pronged approach. Uh, we, we're, we feel we're up to the task. When I say we, the trappers of this country, uh, we've been working very closely with the Fur Takers of America. Dave Haston and I talk uh, very regularly and strategize, and then uh, we take our, our information back to the boards and, and make decisions that uh, on things we can work together, the strength of our two associations together puts us in a whole different position than, than we've been for over 50 years. Uh, we, we, we now have a unity of working together that's unprecedented in modern modern uh, times. When I say modern times, I mean in, in the 2000s. Uh, yeah, that's a big deal. If you if you have you know, say say you have you know two organizations of relatively equal size. I'm not sure what what FTA and NTA are, but but if you combine those, you effectively have just doubled your influence if you speak with one voice. Influence, not only influence, but but resources. Yeah. Uh, and when I say resources, uh, the brain power. Uh, education the experience and the financial part of the resources too uh we we have we've increased our resources by a hundredfold uh the things that we can accomplish together in the, in the future uh there's no limit to it and you know we're going to go from being on the defensive mode all the time to being proactive and, and you know we're going to take the fight to them do you have any thoughts and strategies on how we do that? Well, there's a lot of things. We, and, you know, the interesting thing about it is we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Our opposition has already proved to us what works. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we can take a page out of their book. Uh, any updates on the uh, some of the Endangered Species Act uh, activities that are, are the lawsuits that have affected like guys like me up in Maine with Canada links uh, and other states that have links and uh, any, and, and of course there's wolf issues. Any, any updates on what's going on with those? So uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at this. There, there's rumors of relisting and delisting and uh, we're on top of those things. And we're going to be as effective as we can uh, in opposition of those things. 
Now, all this stuff that's going on, uh, most of the guys, you know, that are out on the ground trapping, a lot of people that listen to this, like I mentioned before when we, we talked a few minutes ago, were, uh, you know, people who have have just started trapping in the last few years and don't really have much of a background or understanding. Um, and, and people that start to get their feet under them and they're successful learning how to trap and uh, start to realize that, wow, there's a lot of people that don't like this or want to ban this. What can I do to help? So, so what would you say to folks that w- what's the most effective thing we can do to help out? So there's two things. One, join the NTA, join FTA, join your local trapping organization, your state organization, show your support. That's a very inexpensive way to defend trapping is pay your membership dues and support the ones that are doing it for you. The ones that have the experience, who have the resources. That's one of the biggest things you can do. The, the other thing you can do is remember when you set a trap, when you take that animal or when you post about the animal you took, you've taken, or you post a picture or a video of that animal, that's not just an image of you. That's an image of all trappers across this country. Make sure it's a positive image. Make sure that you show respect to the animals you harvest. Make sure you show respect to the people who oppose us because we do not want to ever give the impression or the image that we're anything less than ethical, caring sportsmen. We, we, we do not want to give our opposition any ammunition to use against us. Uh, animals that post some pictures of animals who are obviously in an uncomfortable position is very detrimental and counterproductive. Uh, bragging about doing something that would be questionable whether that's ethical or not does not help trappers or trapping. Always remember, as I said a minute ago, the image you're portraying is not an image of you. It's an image of the American trapper. Yeah, whether you like it or not. Right. Yeah. I I like what you said about respecting, uh, even respecting our opposition, because uh, what, what people may oftentimes forget is that the vast majority of the people don't necessarily have a strong position one way or the other. They're just watching. And when they see the way they act and when they see the way we act, that says a lot to them about, you know, what, what position they should take. That's exactly right. Uh, most people sit on the fence and you can either pull them to your side or push them off the other way. Yeah. So what do you think in the future of trapping? You think we're, we're in decent shape or we got some, some tough times ahead? So with, with our newfound alliances uh, with uh, the two national organizations and with coalitions that we're building with other like-minded uh, people such as Farm Bureau, uh, you know, Mule Deer Associations uh, different, and different groups out there that are like-minded, I think that the future is brighter than it's been in a long time. But with that being said, uh, I feel that 
the opposition is probably as strong as it's ever been. And uh, we have to remember when, when we trap, we go out and, and, and whether we sell our pelt or not, whether there's a dime put in our pocket or not, trapping pays us dividends. Trapping that that morning sunrise, the feel of the fall air, the joy of watching a, a young kid, if you're taking a young person on the line with you, those are dividends that we receive. We receive benefit from what we do as trappers. The only benefit our opposition sees is to put us out of business. They don't get to have a pelt tan and hang it on the wall. They don't get to see the joy of that young person with their first catch. They don't get to witness that sunrise while you're drinking coffee, waiting for it to get daylight enough to, to go out and run your line. They don't get those things. The only satisfaction they receive is to put us out of business and they work harder at it than we do. And we have more incentive to work harder than them. We've got a lot to lose. They have nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So these uh, people that, you know, we read about these different uh, challenges to trapping and, and uh, legal things going on. Uh, somebody asked me uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, I, I want to send money somewhere. Where do I, where do I donate to? Where do I send money? What, what would you say is the most effective uh, way to, if someone's got a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks, they want to uh, donate to try and help preserve trapping. So if you had a hundred dollars and you didn't know where you wanted to put it, uh, the NTA membership's $30. I think FTA membership may be 35. Uh, so there's uh, $65 of your money uh, there. Your state association is going to be somewhere right in there. Uh, that would that would take up the most of a hundred dollars, and you've done good things with that money. Uh, if you got more money than that, than you wanted to put in there, uh, you know, uh, send it to the NTA. If you wanted to contribute to the New Mexico lawsuit, we've got a joint bank account set up uh, uh, at the NTA through the NTA office. That's a joint account of NTA, FTA, and New Mexico Trappers Association. I'm earmarked for that, and it'll go into that special account. Oh, perfect! So people can earmark dollars for certain accounts. Yes, because I, uh -huh. I I've I've heard it a little bit recently about you got to be careful where you send the money because there's sometimes the certain groups can only use uh, that money for certain activities. Right, you're right, and and without going into to any of that stuff, you know, uh, there was a lot of thinking and planning and. Uh, to how this was set up and uh, all three organizations that are partnering on this, this situation agreed that the way we have it set up is the best way to do it. Okay. So just like a, a check to the NTA saying, I'd like this to be, you know, to help. Yeah. The New just Mexico. put it down in the notes. Uh, this is for the New Mexico defense fund. Perfect. Excellent. Well, that's great, John. Um, I really appreciate it. Is there is there anything else that uh, you want to talk about or, or get into that we didn't cover? 
you know, no, I, and I hope I hope I've uh, given you enough good information that uh, that it's going to be beneficial for your show and beneficial for trapping. Uh, I, everything I try to do, I try to go into it with that mindset that it makes a positive positive impact. And hopefully, we've done that today. Uh, I'm always uh, available to listen to somebody if they want to give me a call or send me an email. Uh, I am a pretty busy guy, so if I don't get back with you today, don't take it personal, but I will get back with you. I promise you that. And uh, love, to, love to talk to trappers and fellow trappers and, and hear what they've got to say and listen to their concerns, listen to their suggestions. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share some thoughts with you today. Awesome. One last question. Do you ever get tired of people adding an S to the to your last name <laughs> well, it's you know it's happened my whole life so it's just part of life <laughs> <laughs> very good well thanks so much john and uh and we certainly appreciate it and we'll we'll catch you down the line all right good talking with you all right take care bye bye okay that is it for this week's episode thanks for listening in i hope that you learned something and i hope that this has inspired you maybe to join the nta and support some of these efforts to protect and preserve trapping for future for us and for future generations. Finally, the Cotsboro's message of the week. Cotsboro's will be in the market for glands, caster, and skunk essence this fall. So if you are getting ready for your trap line, keep in mind that if you save those glands, caster, skunk essence, that uh, you could put a few extra dollars in your pocket, uh, especially you know with the glands that you may otherwise be throwing away. If you're, if you're picking up big numbers, please uh, go ahead and save those. It, it, it could really uh, be a huge benefit for you. And it helps out guys in the lure making industry. So Kyle is buying these. Um, if you go to the website, cotsbros.com, look at the top post uh, on their blog for the current market prices and the updates and what they're looking for. So I've got an update from September 21. So that's the most recent update. He gives some instructions on how to ship these and, and all that stuff. If your value of your shipment exceeds $100, they pay the shipping. So that is all covered by Cots Bros. Um, so, so if you have quite a, quite a few glands, quite a few beaver, uh, beaver casters, um, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty lucrative. So beaver caster, they're paying for dried caster, $80 a pound. Uh, oil sacks, they're not taking right now. Their inventory is full, but keep uh, keep checking in. You never know that that could change. Coyote glands, $100 a gallon. This includes the anal glands, hot glands, urine bladder, sex organs, and neck glands. Freeze these fresh. I think pretty much all of the glands that they're buying, they want you to freeze them fresh. Um, red fox glands, $150 a gallon. Bobcat glands, $225 a gallon. Gray fox, $80 a gallon. Badger, $80. Otter, $80. Mink glands $190 a gallon, and muskrat glands $75 a quart. That would be uh, this coming spring from spring rats, because that's that's really when you get the glands from them. And finally, skunk essence, they're paying $18 an ounce. Store that in a glass bottle with a metal lid. Um, I do have a YouTube video on the Trapping Today YouTube channel on how to uh, ship skunk essence without the smell, so you might want to check that out. It's... it's uh, it takes a little bit of work, but it you will it will pay you benefits to not get your package taken by the U.S. Postal Service and investigated. 
and they will pay a premium on 32 ounces or more of skunk essence. So keep that in mind. All right, guys. Thanks, Cotsbros. Thank you for listening in. And till next time, keep on talking trap and keep on thinking trap. We'll catch you on the next episode.